www.giordano's.com or call the restaurant. Giordano's of Evanston, a proud sponsor of WNUR Sports. Good evening, everybody, and welcome on into another episode of Stats Are For Losers. I'm your head loser, Tim Hackett, joined as always by my fellow loser. And I think it's time officially to announce that you should be the official co-loser. Eric Rinston Lobel, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for being here as per usual. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. I don't know if that's a compliment, but <laughs> good to I, be here as always. I just technically equated you with me, so that's really it's not really a compliment. But well, you are a loser like me, as uh, Three Doors Down once said. Well, we got a shout-out from Coach Fitz in the paper on Perfect. Friday, so uh, maybe we're doing something right. Good way to start. Pat Fitzgerald's favorite uh, radio talk show, Stats Are For Losers, as was quoted in the Daily Northwestern. Yes, I just did, in fact, give them a shout-out. My pal Joe Wilkinson uh, credited Pat Fitzgerald as saying in the finals, uh, final sentence of his story earlier this week. Fitzgerald said, Stats Are For Losers. We won, right? Uh, credit to Eric for sending that my, sending that my way. But, hey, Fitz watches this show. Fitz listens to this show, right? Right, Fitz? Hey, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, <laughs> but, anyway, Fitz aside, we'll get back to him, we'll, let's, we'll get back to him in, a, in a brief minute. But let's quickly go back to something that Matt and I talked about in the last half hour, Eric. I guess the bigger story to uh, this weekend now all of a sudden, Northwestern women's basketball all of a sudden, um, kind of overshadowing, I guess, the football team, which won a game it expected to. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But my first stat of the week, 11, Florida was up by 11 points with 3 minutes and 14 seconds to go earlier today in Gainesville. Northwestern went on a 13-2 run to end regulation. Jordan Hamilton sunk a bucket with less than a second on the clock to tie the score at 72 apiece. Florida had a chance at a game winner, missed it. The game went to overtime, and then Northwestern won overtime 11-2 and won the game 83-74. to That's overall a 24-4 to run overall to win the game. Eric, is that, a, is that a comeback or a collapse? 11-point lead with three, just to take over three minutes to go, that's kind of a crazy end of the game. Yeah, I didn't get to, didn't get to watch, but I would say it's probably a combination of both because an 11-point lead, you feel you know, pretty comfortable, but obviously it didn't work out so well for Florida today. They didn't score in the final two minutes of and 30 seconds of overtime, talking about Florida, and Northwestern came back to win that game handily. We don't have to talk about it too much because Matt McHugh covered it pretty extensively on It's a Fake, but I just thought that that was the, the bigger storyline of the weekend in terms of just, I mean, unexpectedly good performances. Lindsey Pulliam led all players, make your pardon, led Northwestern with 22 points on 10 of 17 shooting. Palace Kunayakpana with another double-double, 18 points on 8 of 12 from the floor. 13 boards and two assists. And with no Veronica Burton, Bertie Galernick came in. Only scored three points, but dished out six assists. Didn't commit a single foul. And Northwestern came back from down 11. It bears repeating. Down 11 with three minutes and 14 seconds to go to win the game and improve to 4-0. and All right, Eric, over to you. Stats are for losers. You're a loser now officially. Take it away. All right, well, my first staff for today is two. That's the number of consecutive games which Northwestern's defense has forced multiple turnovers. Yesterday, Nate Hall with the two interceptions, Joe Gaziano with the forced fumble. Nate Hall got thrown out of the game for targeting yeah. at the end, a bit of a questionable 
call there, but even still promising to see the defense making plays when the offense hasn't maybe been where they should be at this point. Yeah, totally agree. And all right, so all right, I'll ask you, you kind of teed me up for this. You, What did you think about the Nate Hall targeting calls? Ben Krieger and I, if you were there for it, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, it feels like forever ago just because of how many things that have happened in the last 36 hours. But uh, Ben Krieger and I were a little bit divided at the time of the of the hit. Uh, he said the intent in us knowing Nate just a little bit, you know, at arm's length, of course, uh, he saw the hit and said, well, that shouldn't be targeting because it obviously wasn't malicious. Tanner Morgan, the Minnesota quarterback, was leaning away, and Hall just kind of came in and hit him. So he said that shouldn't have been targeting because it wasn't an e- a hit with a malicious intent, and I brushed back. Rarely the case for me with Ben because I generally think he's uh, spot on in most everything. But I thought that, the, you know, according to the letter of the law, made sense as the rule is simply put it's a helmet on helmet hit and the crown of Hall's helmet hit the side of Morgan's helmet and even if he was trying to avoid a hit like that that hit occurred and I thought it was a pretty easy decision yeah well first of all I got to listen to both of you guys yesterday it sounded really great I know I told oh, you that well, before thank you. but <laughs> I appreciate very, that very nice very good to listen to but on that play it was it was it could you call it targeting I guess but it seemed like if Nate Hall had maybe an extra six inches of running room, he probably would have gotten the shoulder in there because that's looked like that looked like what he was going for, but it just happened very quickly and he wasn't able to lower his helmet out of the way. So unfortunate, but I guess the good thing is that next week's game really doesn't mean anything and hit excuse me, him missing the first half hopefully won't have too much of an impact against a team that lost by 63 points yesterday. So there's your there's a great segue. We'll talk a little bit about that. 63 to nothing is the final score yesterday for Iowa against Illinois, a team that struggled to put up 10 points against Northwestern last week in Iowa, 14-10 to grinded out victory for the Cats that clinched the uh, Big Ten West for them a week ago. They put up 63 points against Illinois. Now, obviously, Illinois is not as good of a team as Northwestern. I think everybody would say that, but that's a ridiculous score. Somebody floated that out on the bus as we were leaving the airport yesterday. I said, there's no way they're exaggerating. They said, oh, yeah, I will put up like 70 points. And I heard that, and I said, no way. They're, 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 that can't possibly be true. But it was 63 to nothing. I, 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 I'm struggling to think of a score line that I've seen like that. Oh. It, absolutely ridiculous for one-sided score. And just lots of crazy scores around the Big Ten yesterday. You had the Maryland-Ohio State game yeah. that Ohio State was able to walk out of there with a narrow victory, 52-51. But then you look and you see Nebraska beats Michigan State 9-6, and then Wisconsin beats Purdue 47-44 in triple overtime. So uh, good variety of scores yeah. yesterday, I guess we could say. Football, man. Hey, all right, I, I wanted to know if we would if we would get time to talk about this, but here's a question I had for you. I thought it was interesting, um, just the kind of the style here. That in Iowa put up 63 points, like we said yesterday, but they scored in a lot of different ways. They had one or two defensive touchdowns, one or two special teams touchdowns as well. So they only managed 400 yards of offense, and they still put up more than 60 points. I thought that 400 exactly, first of all, and only si- and then still managed 63 points. For comparison's sake. Illinois ran over Minnesota two weeks ago, 55-31. to That spelled the end of Minnesota's previous defensive coordinator's tenure in Minneapolis. 55 points, no laughing matter there. But Illinois had almost 650 total yards of offense in that game. Am I making, you know, am I making something out of nothing here? Because I thought that 400 yards of offense in a game where your team scored 60 points, that seems a little bit incongruent to me. That doesn't seem like a whole lot of yards. Yeah, definitely probably a bit of an anomaly, but... 
I guess it goes to show you how efficient Iowa was in their possessions yesterday or the time they had with the ball because I guess it doesn't matter how, how many yards you put up as long as you put up the points. Yeah, that's <laughs> which true. Which might justify why Fitz, Coach Fitz says what he does. But <laughs> <laughs> Stats are for losers. You're listening to it right here on WNUR. Great tee, uh, great tee up and pff, knocked it out of the park. Uh, that's a good segue into another stat that I thought was interesting going into the game yesterday. 300 is my stat, um, which is not only a good gladiator movie, but Minnesota is now 1-6 this year when it allows at least 300 total yards of offense, which is interesting. So all six of its losses have come when they've allowed at least 300 more, or more yards of offense. They're 5-6 and six overall. But that doesn't seem like all that much. Uh, 375 yards, sorry, 325 total yards of offense yesterday for Northwestern was a fine total. Their offense was decent overall, certainly not awful like we've seen them at times this year. But 300 doesn't seem like all that much, and Minnesota still has six losses when they give up 300. Just for comparison's sake, uh, all four of Northwestern's losses have come when they surrender 300 or more yards. But they have six wins in games like that as well, so they know how to get into a a shootout, for a lack of better term, a little bit more than Minnesota does, it seems. I thought that 300 did not seem like that much. Yeah, and especially in college football where, you know, defense isn't really as good. So, I mean, Minnesota offensively struggled. They had It seemed like they had the ball a lot longer than Northwestern did for most of yesterday's game. But Tanner Morgan, 19-32, to 32, not terrible, but definitely not great, only 197 passing yards. They're helping the running game, but... I mean, offensively, they, they struggle, and I think that's more the reason why they're losing these games. Because, I mean, is 24 points great? No, but that's definitely something that, that most offenses should be able to overcome. And ben Krieger mentioned this on the broadcast yesterday, but Clayton Thorson was always a real boomer bust guy. I don't remember his note exactly, but, you know, over 300 or under 200. I think you made a point like this a while or so ago, but every game this this season had either been like over 300 or under 200 yards passing, right? And yeah. yesterday was the first time this season he finished with 230. Very efficient day. I'll get more into that in a second. But the first time he was between those two uh, poles. Yeah, because his average, I think, per game was about 230. But I think – and that was yeah. the article that, that Fitz said that where – uh, Thorson's averaging like 230 yards per game, but he had never been within like 50 yards of that total <laughs> all season because he'll have those games like against Wisconsin, Nebraska, where he's putting up over 350, 400 yards. And then you have like the Rutgers game where he puts up like 180. So um, he's been a bit inconsistent this year, but they're in a pretty good spot right now. Similarly, Minnesota's defense. So, I mean, kind of the exact same situation here. Really boom or bust. Uh, they allowed between 0 and 14 points four times before yesterday and 29 or more points six times, I do believe. And as you might imagine, they were 4-0 and in games when they allowed 14 or fewer points and 1-5 and when in games where they allowed 30 or more points. So a real boomer bust type year. So yesterday was the first time that they allowed between 15 and 30 points all season. They still lost. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. This Fun with averages, I guess. Yeah, definitely. But I think Blake Cashman deserves a shout out. Great, twenty tackles yesterday. Yep. I was definitely. I don't know anything about Minnesota football, but it was impressive to see the performance he put together, even in a losing effort. Yeah, I've been, and this is going to be a, a flex situation, I guess. But I've been up on Blake Cashman for about two years now, especially uh, leaning uh, stemming from when Northwestern went to Minnesota two years ago. Played an awful game, a really gross game overall. Minnesota won that game in the snow. It was not not a lot of fun at all. I was not there, but 
didn't seem like Northwestern was there at times either. Blake Cashman led the defense in tackles of that game. I think I had 14 or thereabouts in that game. Minnesota's defense was really good. He had 20 tackles yesterday. A TCF Bank Stadium record, fifth time this year that he's had 10 or more tackles. He's now second in the conference with 101 tackles, tied for second with three other guys. He's top five in total solo tackles and third in tackles for loss. And for, you know, Minnesota has been really good at home, uh, 41 or so wins in their previous 69 games there in Minneapolis. Uh, and Cashman has been a really big reason why. I think he's an awesome story, a former walk-on, a little bit of a sucker for stories like this, I guess. You hear this about Wisconsin literally all the time. They always have guys that are former walk-ons that come in and contribute either on the lines or at a linebacker, maybe at a wide receiver. Uh, but Cashman, a former walk-on, and this year he's a semifinalist for this award, the Burlesworth Trophy that goes to the top former walk-on in the country. He's now obviously on scholarship uh, and is one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. You agree or disagree? One of the better backers in the Big Ten based on probably purely just on yesterday's performance. Yeah. I think he can make that claim. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair claim to make. 20 tackles in a game is very impressive no matter who you're playing. Northwestern offensively played all right yesterday, so the fact that he was able to have that kind of impact in that game speaks a lot to his abilities. Last thing about Northwestern's offense, five and a half, or thereabouts, their average yards per play yesterday – which is by far its best average of the season. So 200, or beg your pardon, 325 total yards on just 60 plays, their fewest plays from scrimmage overall this year, but their most efficient use of those plays at about five and a half. They hadn't been over five since the first week of the season against Purdue, and also to kind of circle back a little bit, uh, almost 11 pass yards per attempt for Thorson. They'd been over seven twice this year, and those were in his two best games, Thorson's against Nebraska and Minnesota. So nearly 11 yards per attempt. So finally it was Thorson that was getting those intermediate to deep routes going. Obviously that's helped a little bit by a 68-yard bomb to J.J. Jefferson. Jefferson. And that went about, I don't know, let's say 40 (laughs) or so yards in the air, and then Jefferson went the uh, the final 25, 30 yards himself. But uh, So that certainly helps that number, but... Finally, I thought that Thorson and guys like Riley Lees, after Flynn Nagel went down hurt and for the first or second drive of the game, uh, finally was able to get those intermediate routes going, hitting routes you know nine yards out, twelve yards out, things like that. And then he got some yards after the catch as well. So finally, that pass game was a lot more efficient than we're used to seeing. Yeah, and I think Ben Krieger brought this up in the broadcast where they have that the one one of the plays where they shift the two superbacks mm-hmm. over. And normally they run the ball, but yesterday they ran a play action, and Ben said that's something he's been looking to see them run a while because it's a play that would work, and it worked because Cam Green had a couple of nice catches yesterday. So it was good to see. I guess one of the benefits of Nagel out, you don't want to see him injured, but it forces Thorson to go to some of his other guys, and I think more players were involved in the offense yesterday than we've seen for most of the season. First notable quotable of the week stemming into pro football a game that I watched on Thursday that I shouldn't have as I was getting ready for Northwestern against Minnesota. Packers and Seahawks. Seahawks had absolutely no business winning that game, and yet they did so thanks to another Green Bay implosion. And after the game, Packer head coach Mike McCarthy said, I need to coach better, and we need to execute better. Right. Uh, Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, Nothing really more to say there. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, All right, Eric, over to you. Um, The Packers losers this week. Anything else from you? Well, staying in the NFL, I have nine 
That is the number of interceptions Ben Roethlisberger has thrown in his last three games against the Jaguars, including their postseason mm. game last year. But Pittsburgh did come back to win today, 2016. They were down 16 nothing at one point in the third quarter. And personally, seeing I was I wasn't watching the game, but I was watching the game track and I see Jacksonville up nine nothing. All right, the defense is getting back on track. Roethlisberger struggling against them like usual. Definitely has become a bit of a psychological thing at this point. But you figure, all right, Jacksonville pulls out a win. Maybe they get back on track, contend for the AFC South. And then all of a sudden, I see Pittsburgh came back to win in the last <laughs> couple seconds. So Jacksonville now 3-7, and seven, which is very surprising considering where they were last year. Sure. And Pittsburgh looking pretty good. They had those 50-plus points, was it last week against Carolina? Yeah, against Carolina. So the offense has performed really well without Le'Veon Bell, who's not coming back this year, didn't sign his contract in time. So that's a story for another day. But, <laughs> but James Conner didn't have the biggest game today, but he has done a great job filling in. Antonio Brown did his usual thing over 100 yards. J- uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, also big game. So the offense has still been able to put up some points, even though Bell hasn't been, been there. So they're trying to contend with Kansas City and New England for that AFC championship. And we mentioned the Panthers. My staff from the NFL today was – they went for two after they saw so they scored a touchdown. It was twenty to nineteen, and the Panthers were going for two to try to get the win against Detroit earlier this afternoon. And they went for a two point conversion. And similar to what Maryland did against Ohio State yesterday, Cam Newton had a receiver open in the end zone and just kind of airmailed the throw a little bit. And so then, th- therefore, Carolina was now down by one with a minute to go and had to attempt an onside kick to try to get the ball back and score again. And they flashed a stat on the broadcast. The Panthers in the history of the franchise are now 0 for 376. 376 onside kick attempts in franchise history. And they haven't recovered a single one. That's ridiculous. And then, I mean, Graham Gano, who I think is a really solid kicker uh, in the NFL, one of the better ones, uh, didn't have a very good game today. Missed a field goal and an extra point, I do believe. Uh, and his onside kick was not very good, but... I mean, tough, for, tough to single out a, a singular person in those situations, in my opinion. But the NFL, uh, ignoring other results, are 3 and 31 overall this year in onside kicks. Like, is, this, is, is the onside kick even a viable option anymore? Uh, I mean, I guess when you have nothing to lose or when you're down, when you need the ball back, I guess it's something you try. Something I saw really interesting yesterday, I've never seen this before, in the uh, Maryland-Ohio State game, I don't know if you saw this, where – Ohio, uh, where Maryland kicked it off, the ball was about to go out of bounds at around the 20. So the Ohio State returner, like, backed away so they would get the penalty. But two of the Maryland return guys got on, jumped on the ball and got it before it went out of bounds, so Maryland got possession. I don't think I've ever seen that before. So wow. it basically worked like an onside kick, yeah. but it wasn't. They had much better field position. They're on the Ohio State 20. I didn't see that. So... How often? I mean, I've never seen that before, Neither so I can't. I. I wouldn't say that's a more viable option. <laughs> My thing with the onside kick has always been just kick it as hard as you can right at one of their guys <laughs> who probably doesn't have very good hands, because this way you don't have to worry about it not going ten yards or you know something else happening. At least you know it touches him, and maybe you have a chance to get it. It's so tough to kick it on the ground and hope that these guys drop it because most teams put out like their wide receivers and stuff to just catch it and fall down. So. It's just a difficult thing, but you really don't have any other options. When, yeah. you're, when you're down by three, no timeouts, a minute 50 left in the game, let's say, you, you don't really have 
any other choices there. That's a really good point. You don't but. you don't really have any other choices, I guess. But maybe that's a maybe a topic for a different uh, a different sport, a different type of uh, uh, entrepreneur, I guess, to try to figure out a, a way that you, a team could come back in a football game when trailing. Wow. But all right, that's all I have from that. <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode of Stats are for Losers with the two of us without some hockey tidbits. So let's get into that because I have a couple, and I know you have a couple as well. We'll start with some of the positives. 15, Mike Hoffman's Panther record, and the other Panthers, not the Carolina Panthers anymore, the Florida Panthers. Mike Hoffman extends his Florida Panthers record for points for consecutive games with a point to 15 yesterday. That broke a 13-game streak set by the great Pavel Bury in 2000. Hoffman's got 18 points on eight goals and 10 assists in those 15 games. He didn't have a single point in his first two for the NFL Mike Hoffman is the 11th player in league history. This is what makes it even more special to amass a streak of that length or more in his first season with a new team than the first since Danny Heatley broke off a 22-game streak with Ottawa, Hoffman's former team, in 2005. So took him two games, three games, I guess, to really get going. And after a very tumultuous offseason with all of the fun games going on in Ottawa with Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson and their uh, significant others, then neither Carlson nor Hoffman are still in Ottawa. It doesn't seem like many people want to still be in Ottawa. We'll see how long Guy Boucher is still in Ottawa. And Hoffman now finally settling in really nicely with the Panthers as the longest active point streak in the NHL. Yeah, Panthers 7-7, seven and 7-7-3. Seven, seven, seven and three. They're at the bottom of the Atlantic. But the East is interesting. There's only two teams that are below 500 right now. And Pittsburgh, Penguins being one of them, which is yeah. a bit surprising. But... The e- the whole Eastern Conference really is up really up for grabs. Besides Tampa, Toronto, Buffalo, and Columbus, I mean everyone else seems to be in a pretty similar boat in terms of where they stand amongst the rest of the teams. The Rangers right now in third, twenty two points, same as the Islanders, the Capitals, and Hurricanes are one point behind them. You have the Flyers, so lots of shifting i'm sure we will see in the in the eastern conference especially this year yeah really interesting standings like you mentioned just in the east about a quarter of the way through the season now teams played 19 or 20 games overall a lot of teams in the playoffs that you wouldn't have expected the islanders and the rangers like you said i know who i'm talking to by the way but (laughs) islanders and the rangers both in there buffalo in there was kind of a sexy pick by some people but you know in the top three in the division at this point montreal in the wild card as it stands which means that teams like you said and like uh mark lazarus uh northwestern grad and chicago blackhawks beat writer pointed out this week teams that are really bad at this point this year pittsburgh the kings and the Blackhawks, and I think he said something to the effect of, boy, I missed the 2000s. Uh, yeah. the, the Kings are 28th in the league. The Blackhawks are 27th in the league in points, and Pittsburgh is either 30th or 31st. Or that's not the, the order there is not correct, but those three teams are bottom five in the league in total points, which is not something that we would have said you know, at this time six years ago. No, but it's always good to see some different teams, especially as a Rangers fan. Pittsburgh had their, <laughs> had their cups. So a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, so they've and the Kings beat the Rangers the one year, so yeah. um they had their fun. Now it's time to let some <laughs> other teams. Not not that the Rangers didn't because they had a great run also, but it's it's nice to see some other teams like Buffalo finally get out of the basement in the Eastern Conference. They have some good players now, Toronto with John Tavares. So, you know, it's nice to see some some different teams up there. Sure. My hockey stat may be a bit strange, but this is an interesting story. So three that's the number of years the goaltending coach for the women's hockey team at the University of Manitoba 
Gavin McHale has gone since playing since playing hockey last. He played for the Warren Mechs of the Southeastern Manitoba Hockey League. So you're probably sitting here thinking, why is that important? <laughs> well, McHale suited up as the backup goaltender for the Washington Capitals in their game on Wednesday against the Winnipeg Jets after their starting goalie, Braden Holpe, was injured, and that left Phoenix Copley, which is a yeah. great first name. <laughs> Phoenix Copley was the only active goaltender on the roster, and their minor league hockey affiliate is in Hershey, Pennsylvania, so they were not going to be able to get a backup in time. So I never knew this. So at every NHL game, they have a an emergency goalie on standby. So he so um, Mikhail could have suited up for either the Capitals or the Jets oh. if if either team needed him. So Mikhail ended up not playing. But that's just something I, I did not know that that you just have a guy in the arena who can play for either team in the case, in the event of an emergency and he may actually play and have an impact on the on the on the standings. I had no idea that there was the one person that could be the backup for he could be he, they could summon him in for either team. He's just a, probably a local guy yeah. that is Worn pads before that story that kind of swept the nation last year. Uh, I knew Scott I was going to thank you. That, uh, I knew I would forget the name. But the uh, difference was the is that Hawks. they had signed him to a contract. Right. I believe. Right. This guy was not signed to a contract, so I don't know how that works. But if, like, let's say that he wins that game, and maybe the, those two points is what puts the Capitals yeah. in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, that's just that would be a very interesting story. But it, he didn't end up playing, so we don't get that type of uh, narrative. But the Hurricanes did that last year, the year before as well. They're, they're an equip, their equipment manager, uh, George Alves, uh, he actually got into the game. I don't remember all of the details, but one of their starting goaltenders was hurt, and they were uh, winning, uh, you know, by three or so in the final, you know, fifteen seconds or so of the game. So they pulled whoever the goaltender was, might have been Cam Ward at that time, and put in this guy Alves, who was like their equipment manager who, you know, plays in a local rec league somewhere near Raleigh or something like that. And so they put him in for the final 15 seconds, and then I don't think he had to make a save, but the, the other team, like, had got the puck into their offensive zone or you know, at least dumped it in, like, on a change or something like that. So he had to be like, oh, man, you know, here it's, it's coming. It's, I got to be ready. Uh, but I, I thought that was I thought that was neat. They got him in, and he got to see some action or whatever. And, I mean, what – what a dream! I, I, that's the position I play. I'm awful. I can't skate, but I play street hockey. You know, I, when I when I attempt to do that, I play goalie, right. and like that would just be so cool just to play for your local team and your favorite team, something like that. You've got that. You've got video evidence of that. So this guy yeah. has video evidence that, or like you know, sealed document, ev- signed document evidence that you know he was a member of the Washington Capitals. Yeah. And although he he grew up a Jets fan, right. but you're not going to turn down the opportunity to maybe play in the NHL. I just think it's interesting because you're not going to see that in other sport. Like if like in the case of like the Saints Eagles game before the Saints were up 48-7, you're not just going to have like one of the ball boys come out and start <laughs> taking a knee for for the Saints. That's not how it works. The guy's not under contract. But the NHL seems to be a little bit more flexible in turn. I mean, I'm not very um, keen on their rule book with this stuff, but. The guy's not on. He could be on either team, so he's not under contract for one of them. That's true. So pretty loose guidelines there. Speaking of you know, hockey's pretty cold. It was pretty cold yesterday in some of the college football games. This was in Boulder, Colorado, and this is, I guess, a notable quotable. If you want to make it that, the referee had to stop the game to tell the fans yeah. to stop throwing snowballs onto the field, and that was after. Some interesting refereeing yesterday. You had that. There's also in the Harvard-Yale football game, 
The Yale running back was running to the end zone for a touchdown, flipped the finger at the Yale defender, and the touchdown got called off the board. So <laughs> uh, the referees had interesting games yesterday, but I thought the snowball quote was worth mentioning. You hear don't celebrate too soon. I guess don't taunt too soon either. I did kind of see that floating around that the, the touchdown got called back. That's – come on, man. Like, are, are you serious that that, that – I, I, it's not that I doubt you, but just – that happens. I mean, yeah. come on. And at Harvard too. Exactly. It, like, in a, it's Harvard, Yale. So I mean, it, it it that game matters a lot to those folks. You would think you're gonna throw it away just for that. Well, I guess he wasn't too smart there. <laughs> I guess not. Well, uh, he's definitely qualifies as a loser. And now that you've made it through another episode of Stats for Losers, you are too. So thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, For Eric Ritston-Lobel, I've been Tim Hackett. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy your holiday. Travel safe if you're traveling. We'll see you soon. We'll take a quick break. And after that, it's the Sports Voice on WNUR.